Well, it's great. Welcome to Willow Park Church. What a blessing it is. How exciting to gather together and to spend this time listening to worship, engaging, allowing the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us. Can I encourage you at this moment as we begin our service online, why don't you simply pause and ask the Lord to speak to you? Why don't you pause and ask the Lord to come and to fill you afresh with his presence, that you become aware of his power in your life? Well, we are going to be thinking about the final chapter of Daniel chapter 12 at Highway 33. And Pastor Glenn will be talking about the history of revival. So I want to encourage you as we step into this time to allow the Lord to minister to you and to speak to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to meet together, to be together. And I pray, Lord, for those that have joined us online, that you will fill them with expectation, with encouragement, that, Lord, you will be with them, that you'll come close to them. Sit down right where they are, uh, wherever they are in their house at this moment and simply, gently wrap your arms around them and remind them that they are loved, that they are a child of God, that you are with them, that you care for them. And so, Father, we pray as we begin this service together May you bless us, may you speak to us, may you encourage us through the worship. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, can I remind you, as I've got your attention for a moment, that Monday evening is Willow One Prayer. We will be uh, having that hour to pray for everything that is going on in Willow Park Church. I'm so thankful for your commitment, for your devotion. Pop it into your planner, put it into your phones. Let the notifications ring out like church bells of old and come and gather in prayer. I know that spending the time will be... um, It will be a real blessing to you. Hey, the weather's changing. So uh, summer's gone. And now we probably have a bit more rain coming. But I know summer will be back. So why not spend Monday evening in the presence of the Lord, joining us for that hour to pray and seek the Lord. But as we begin now, I'm going to hand over to Luke as he leads us in worship this morning. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We're so honored that we get to to worship with you guys and that we get to worship our God and just lift up our praise to him. And we're singing a couple of well-known songs this morning, one new one. And, uh, And I just, I pray that these songs will just touch your heart, that the Holy Spirit would use them to, to help you sing out and to praise the Lord. Um, because we are redeemed. We are redeemed by the King by the Son of God, and and, uh, that's an amazing thing that we want to be joyful for. So would you join us as we sing Let the Redeemed this morning?
through just the middle of hard times that we can still praise you God that we can still trust that you are in control that when it feels like we're in a battle when it feels like we just don't know how we're going to get out of this Father that you see the end of it and we don't know what the end looks like but we know that the end is always good for us Father even when it's hard even when it's tough you are in control and there is an end in sight Father, and ultimately we get to see your face if that's the end, and that's a good, that's a good thing, Father. Would our hearts know that? Would we be humbled by that this morning? Would we look forward to being with you? Would we trust you? Sing us out with us. So when I fight 
Jesus, we love you, and we thank you that you are, you are the greatest thing that we have in this life. Thank you that your love is better than life, Father. That your delight in us is better than anybody else's delight. Father, that you being proud of us, that you loving us is better than anything else, God. We thank you that you came to earth, the God of ages, the ancient of days, came to earth from his throne of glory to this dusty, broken planet because of your rich mercy and your great love, your abundance of love towards us, your children. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. We love you. And this week and and this service, we want to praise you. We want to give you our attention, give you our focus, give you our everything. We love you. Thank you that you love us no matter what we do. Even when we mess up, even when we fall short, you love us. Praise your name. Praise your name. So God, would you bless this service? Bless this sermon. Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Would you convict us? Would you convict and talk to people who don't know you this morning? Would this be a morning of salvation, God? Where they would see that that you make known to us the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would we all see that this morning? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Have a great morning. Thank you, Luke. Uh, It's so good to be led in worship and to have that time. Living hope, my living hope, the hope that there is in Jesus. I love the word hope because it communicates so much. But hope isn't something that I just sort of may happen It's something that will certainly happen in Scripture. That our hope is in Christ. And that is something that is certain. That is something that is strong. It's even something that we say you can go to the bank on. You you know that it's true. That it's solid. That it will always be there. And for us, our hope, our certainty, our belief is in the fact that Christ is our saviour. He's our Lord and that he is with us. And so as you hold the bread, if you need to go and uh, collect some emblems, please do. But as we hold the bread for a moment, just by looking at that piece of bread that you're holding, uh, you perhaps grabbed it from your bread cupboard or wherever you get it from, it looks quite normal. It's... A normal piece of bread. But it reminds you that Christ himself came and to become human. If you like, he was normal and yet, of course, he was divine. And he lived amongst the normality of humanity. He walked amongst us. He experienced all the pain and all the suffering. But his ultimate mission, of course, was the cross. His ultimate mission was to go and to be present 
and to be available to go and to lay his life down for humanity. Often we find it hard to understand why Jesus came and why Jesus had to die. Well, the reason he came was to be on a rescue mission for humanity and come down to this earth and to rescue us and to bring us back to God. The reason he died was because there had to be a price that needed to be paid. And that price was the price of sin. And so Jesus gave his life so that we may be forgiven. We may be redeemed. We may be made right. That was the purpose of his rescue mission. That was the purpose of the greatest event in history. The supernova event of all time was Jesus coming into this world and being nailed to that cross and bringing forgiveness and life and resurrection into the world. So, Lord, we thank you for this bread that we hold that reminds us of your body that was broken for us. And, Lord, we give thanks for it. Bless this bread as we eat it. We remember all that you gave for us. And we humble ourselves before you now. The body of Christ, which is broken for you, eat it in remembrance of him. We know that when his body was broken, his blood was poured out for us. The blood that takes away the sins of the world. Friends, take it, drink it and give thanks that you have been atoned for, that you've been forgiven, that you've been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. Well, amen. Well, whether you're joining us uh, from Highway 33 and we're going to finish off Daniel chapter 12 or you're with the South Mission community or Lake Country, wherever you are this morning, we pray that God will bless you, encourage you and lead you and that his word will do its work on your life. I can barely wait to share the message about uh, Daniel 12, and I know Pastor Glenn's really excited to share about revival. And so you've got two great sermons there. What a great church. Wonderful. So here's the news of Willow Park Church and all that is taking place. And um, the Lord bless you on this day. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us today. Here is your family news. for our monthly all-church prayer gathering. Willow One Prayer is happening online Monday, April 26th at 7 p.m. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willowoneprayer. Did you know you can attend an in-person church service at all three of our locations every Sunday? 
We have so many church on lawn and drive-in services available. Registration opens every Tuesday. Plus, starting May 2nd, we are offering in-person kids church at both our Rutland and South locations. Sign up today at willowparkchurch.com slash on lawn or willowparkchurch.com slash drive-in. We have some exciting news for all of you who love camping. You are invited to our big church camp out happening July 9th to 12th at Pines Bible Camp. We also have extra camping dates available July 5th to 16th. This camping experience is for all ages and we will have activities for kids and adults. So save the date on your calendar because this is something you don't want to miss. Registration will be coming soon, so watch your emails and our website for more details. Rainbows is a special group that can help children, kindergarten to grade 6, heal the hurts caused by a loss through divorce, separation, foster care, death, or other life-altering events. At Rainbows, children can make friends with other kids who understand how they feel and the things that they are going through. We will be running this program May 3rd to June 28th. Learn more and sign up online at willowparkchurch.com rainbows. person, young or old, experiences grief when a loss occurs. Feelings of anger, sadness, despair, and deep loneliness can feel overwhelming. No two grieving people grieve the same and feel the depth of emotion the same, so it often feels like we're alone to navigate the turbulent seas. For children, this can often be a time of great confusion as they experience a mixture of feelings and emotions that are tough to understand. Often their caregivers and extended family are also dealing with their own grief over the loss that has occurred. This often leaves children to feel they must be strong to navigate the storm alone or that they are somehow at fault for the loss even when it makes no logical sense. Children don't distinguish between the pain of loss that results from death and the pain of loss that results from divorce, separation, or abandonment. To a child, they all feel the same. Because of this, a child can respond with compassion to the loss events of their peers no matter the cause of that loss. Their needs are the same. There are many children in our community that are navigating these feelings of loss right now. We would like to step into these needs and provide a safe place where children can connect with peers and build relationships and come to an understanding that they are not alone but are a part of a community of people who care for them. Rainbows is a peer-focused program that helps children understand and deal with common grief and begins the process of healing. It is important to understand Rainbows is not counseling, but instead a place to build friendships with other children also experiencing grief. Together with the help of a team facilitator, children will find the support, understanding, and the sense of community so they can begin the process of healing and turn tears to hope and joy. To register for our next upcoming session or for more info, please contact us. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. 
Well, good morning, Willow Park. It is a joy to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, we've got church online happening. We've got church on lawn happening. Next week, here at the South, we've got Kids Church starting. The, uh, the kids team at Willow Park Church have been working hard to pull this together. And it's going to line up with a new series uh, that we'll be starting in the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to chat with you a little bit about today. Today's message is really an epilogue to what is coming over the next eight to ten weeks as we study the work and the person and the theology of the Holy Spirit. I am so excited about sharing this new message. Whenever we get to start a new series, a pastor, a preacher, it, it's just like Christmas morning. You get to open these presents and, and, it's, and it's a wonderful thing. I've been doing a lot of reading and uh, I will actually be sharing my reading list with you so you can read some of the books that I'm reading and studying uh, so you can get even deeper into the topic. But that is next week. This week, I want to start by reading to you or with you a beautiful passage, a well-known passage in Acts chapter 2 that frames the direction we're going in. We're going to start on this passage, talk about it a little bit, and then I've got some application. But this morning, this message truly is about the essence, I believe, of what we should be about at Willapart Church and Willapart Church South. And so, lend me your ears, lean in, and, uh, and, and, and stick with me, because I really do believe this is going to be encouraging and invigorating, and it's going to make you excited about what's coming up in the next few weeks. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. I could stop there and preach about that all week. That, that just alone is a, a great place to start. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 is a classic Pentecost um, uh, uh, scripture, and we'll be unpacking some of that over the next few weeks because this series kind of aligns with Pentecost when we start it next week. Let me, let me introduce you to a period of history, and, uh, and it's a place that is dear to my heart. I've spoken about this place before, a few times actually. Um, this is a picture from the late 1800s, early 1900s from Wales, and Wales was where Sarah and I and the kids lived and worked for many years before coming to Canada, and Wales is an amazing, amazing nation. I mean, very proud people. They have their own language. They have their own history and heritage. Just a beautiful and amazing group of people. But in the late 1800s and 19, early 1900s, you can see just from this picture that really that poverty was, uh, was a desperate, desperate problem. There was addiction. There was alcohol addiction. It was a, it's a mining country, so the miners, uh, the, the men would go to the pit and they would work all day. Then they'd go straight to the pubs. They would get drunk. Then they'd head home and beat up their wives and their kids, and there is no exaggeration there at all. And so there was a lack of education, there was high unemployment, there was abuse. The country was in desperate, desperate straits. And then suddenly, out of nowhere it felt, 
history shows us that something radically changed. So you might be listening to this this morning, really just thinking through Christianity. You might be a bit of a skeptic, me too, and, uh, and you're kind of going, well, I'm not sure about Christianity, I'm not sure about Jesus. Well, history shows us that significant things have happened that we cannot ignore. And in 1904, something suddenly happened in Wales as a, nature, as a nation that not only impacted Wales, but impacted many, many other countries, including, some would say, if you research it, North America. And what happened was, in less than one year, in this small country in the United Kingdom, there was hundreds of thousands of immediate converts to Christianity. It spread to the rest of the UK and impacted culture in a way that was just quite remarkable. Crowds and crowds of people would suddenly, out of nowhere, want to learn about Christianity and Jesus. And so much so, it was such an impact on the culture, it changed the fabric of society. And there's no hyperbole there. It changed the fabric of of their culture. I've talked about this before. The pit ponies no longer followed orders because they were so used to being sworn at and cussed at that these miners who are now Christians swearing and cussing just got eradicated out of their language. The pit ponies didn't understand them anymore. Money, instead of being spent on alcohol, went into the home. So clothing, food, books, education suddenly started becoming part of that nation. Pubs closed. Sounds familiar. Debts were paid. And, and so actually, they, 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 some historians would say that the level of debt that was paid off was such, uh, such an incredible amount, it shifted the economy. Cardiff jail experienced no inmates, so the jail was empty. It was called the land of the white glove because judges at that time would ceremoniously wear or symbolically wear white gloves as a sign of pure justice because they had nobody to convict in their empty empty courts. These games of football were abandoned halfway through because people came under the conviction of their sin and the Holy Spirit. Uh, prayer meetings in students' rooms happened at the universities that became so vibrant that within a little while they started spreading into the lecture halls of the universities themselves. Papers, newspapers, the daily rags would print on the back pages the number of converts that had come to know Jesus that week and they would print hymns for people to sing together around the dinner table in the evenings. Police were employed and they were admitting this to do nothing. There was no arrests made in the week following New Year. This is amazing. This was a change of culture. A change so much so that not only would it affect the UK, it affected Scandinavia, parts of Europe, North America, the mission fields of Indian Orient, Africa and Latin America. Uh, South Koreans still pray for Wales to this day as honoring and thanking them, as, as a way of thanking them for the way that the Welsh missionaries from this revival went to South Korea to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Here's the thing though, you're talking about 1904, there was no advertising, no posters, no huge tents, no influencers, no Instagram, no Facebook, no marketing, and yet throngs of people flooded to church meetings and became Jesus followers out of nowhere. You cannot ignore that. Historians cannot ignore that. It is documented. That happened. Hundreds of thousands of people in this small country coming to know Jesus. It is a true picture of revival. Imagine, if you will, just for a second, just like in Wales, if the, uh, if the most notorious top 600 sorry, uh, criminals in the Okanagan or in BC suddenly became Christians, suddenly became Jesus followers, gave up their illegal practices and started following after Jesus, what kind of change would that have on our culture? What would our city look like? That was true revival, friends. And that is what I'm talking about this morning as we look towards our new series in the Holy Spirit. How is this possible? How is this event possible in really in historical terms not that long ago? Is it because the church developed better programs? Is it because the church had more entertaining services? Is it because pastors did a better job of attracting people to their crowded buildings? No. We go back to that original scripture that I read. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven. You see, God turned up like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. There's a pattern here that you can see all the way through Acts. You can see in the Welsh Revival. You can see in documented historical revivals all through history and all around the world. Friends, can I tell you that this kind of revival is happening right now in this world in places that you would never imagine. Places like Iran, Iraq are experiencing a move of Jesus Christ that is unprecedented. Some would say that the church in Iraq is the fastest growing church on the planet right now. You look at China, you look at Africa, you look at South America. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well because God is still on the move. But there's a pattern. And let me show you quickly. You can see this pattern in Acts. You can see this pattern historically. Number one, first of all, there's a crisis. What is the crisis that they were experiencing in Acts chapter 2? That Jesus had returned to heaven. They're in crisis. What was the crisis in Wales? Well, it was poverty. It was addiction. It was abuse. And so the nation was in crisis. Friends, are we in crisis? That is the question we need to ask ourselves. So then there's a seeking. There's a gathering together of the believers. We just read it. And they started praying. And they started seeking the Lord. And then there's a visitation. 
We read in Acts chapter 2, the visitation was but in the form of flames. In other places, we hear about rushing wind. If you look in the history, the, 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 the visitation I just explained to you in Wales was the Spirit of God turning up in that country and turning people's hearts towards Him in an amazing, amazing way. And then there's a habitation. There's a filling with the Holy Spirit. This people in Acts chapter 2 went out into the streets. They were speaking in tongues and revived. Revival happened. Thousands of people came to know Jesus in Acts as a result of this revival. It started with a crisis, led to a seeking, resulted in a visitation and a habitation being filled with the Spirit that ultimately resulted, just like we see in Wales, a transformation. Not just a personal transformation, but a community, city, national transformation. This group of people in Acts chapter 2 were said to have turned the world upside down. That's how transformed they were. So here we have a pattern, a pattern for revival, a pattern for transformation. And you can read it in Wales, you can read it in Spurgeon's time, the Great Awakening, both of them in North America. Unbelievable, um, not unbelievable because we have it documented. But you see, if you're a skeptic or if you're an atheist, There has to be a struggle over this because you're not talking about one or two people clinging on to religion because they're weak. You're talking about nations being changed for no reason other than they become Jesus followers. And there's a thread of a character through this. This person, the person of the Holy Spirit. He was there at the beginning in Genesis 1, verse 1, where he, again, there's the crisis, there's a turning up of God. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the dark waters of the deep. And then the Spirit of God, it says in verse 2, was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the Holy Spirit brings this Genesis moment, the message calls it in the Psalms. A Genesis moment of transformation. And friends, I'm excited about sharing this new series that we're going to start next week because it's in the moment when we come into a true transformational relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a Genesis moment that starts in our lives that results in transformation in our city's lives, in our neighbor's lives, in our family's lives. These Genesis moments of transformation. And so on May the 1st, we're going to start studying the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that we see that brings this transformation. Now, without jumping into next week's sermon, I do want to say this. There's a lot of fear and confusion when it comes to the things of the Spirit. There's a lot of fear and confusion and angst, a bit of a squinty-eyed suspicion when it comes to things of the Holy Spirit because we attach certain behaviors, certain things that we might not like. They might make us uncomfortable. And so what we're going to do is we're going to follow the theological evidence Not the evidence with where you might want it to go, but actually the theological evidence of the power and the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. But really, all I need to do is this, is show you this verse. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I can say this quite simply, friends. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If Jesus is imparting the gift of the Holy Spirit into his disciples, then truly, surely we should position ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit as well. And so today, I want to suggest to you that we need this desperately. 
Because I believe in a very different way than Wales or in North America in the Great Awakening or Spurgeon's time in the Victorian age or any of the other revivals, something very peculiar to our culture. And I've studied with you over the last few weeks as we looked at Daniel, especially in the first two messages of Daniel, where we, we liken Daniel with Babylon. We're in crisis. We are in crisis. And remember that first thing. Revivals start with crisis. You see, if I look at our culture and our society in the West, what I see is morality continuing to decay. I see anxiety increasing. I see scandal after scandal. I see financial dishonesty. I see people climbing over other people to get on further, higher, better, richer, more beautiful than others. I see greed. I see manipulation. I see cover-up. I see power-driven hypocrisy. I see blame. I see, well, it's not me, it's them. I see the polarization that's happening in society and in politics. I see young people deconstructing their faith. If you don't know what that term means, I encourage you parents, especially leaders of young people, to search into this. This deconstruction is very much a buzzword right now. And it essentially means that young people are are deconstructing what they have grown up to believe. They're deconstructing it sometimes in a healthy way, which means letting go of traditions or manners or practices that happened at home. That's at best, and that can be healthy. But in a worst case, deconstruction happens where young people are, are, are really kind of throwing dynamite into their faith. So they're, they're looking and seeing, well, that doesn't align. My faith doesn't align with what I see happening in society, and so they're walking away. How do we improve that? Well, pastor, your services need to be more geared towards young people. Your, your, uh, your messages need to be more geared to young people. The worship needs to be more dynamic. We need flashing lights and smoke machines and lasers. and We need to be relevant. Let's not call them sermons. Let's call them talks. You know, Maybe we shouldn't even mention Jesus. Let's get rid of the cross. The cross is offensive. And, and these are all suggestions that the church has actually lent into over the years in, in, the, in the vain hope that we can draw people in. But here's the challenge with that. It doesn't work. It doesn't lead to transformation. The challenges our culture faces are not answered in anything from within itself. They're answered by a genuine transformation through the Holy Spirit towards Jesus. And I honestly don't believe that programs or models or events or gatherings or books are going to fix our brokenness and our loneliness. The reality is this. If we want to see transformation, then we need His help in order to do it. And His help, we're told, in the New Testament comes through the Holy Spirit. And we're in trouble We're in trouble on so many different levels if we're relying on our own power in order to attract people into the kingdom. Because what happens is is they come to church and they end up with a faith that is a millimeter thick and a mile wide. And the slightest little thing will puncture it, even if it was a faith in the beginning. Is there true conversion happening in our church's friends? And if not, then why not? We surely have to look at ourselves. We have to look at where we're at in our relationship with Jesus and ask ourselves the big question. 
So once or twice I've had the, uh, the joy of being able to go sailing. I know there are people uh, who enjoy sailing uh, in our church. I think my good friend Lyndon and I, and I think Sam Carlson. And I can think of a few, few other guys who enjoy going sailing. I don't know a lot about it. We used to own a boat and that was a power boat and, and that was great. We used to rip around the lake. It was beautiful. But one thing I do know about sailing is if you've not got a sail up, you're just floating. And probably drifting. You see, sailboats are designed to have their sails filled with the power of the wind. Christian friends, we are designed to have the sails of our lives filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we are not got our sails up, if we're not positioning ourselves to receive from the Holy Spirit, at best, at worst, critical of what the Holy Spirit is doing in other churches... If we're not doing that, then really what we're doing is we're floating at best, we're drifting at worst. And I just wonder, and I'm burdened, and this is where you can tell that I'm impassioned. I'm burdened by what I see, and by the thought that somehow we've started, Christian friends, we've started to easily settle. We've started to drift. We're content with the comfort. We have somewhere along the line started to expect very little from God. We expect very little from our church life. That we're quick to assess and review, give church a five, a four, a three, a two, a one star rating, depending on how well it has met our needs. These are not the characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the line, we have started to not expect things to change. We just think things are going to stay the same unless we, in our own power and our, our own ability, bring that change ourselves. That is not the pattern of revival that I see in the scriptures nor in history. And we can get so stuck on the promises of comfort that we lose sight that the promise of his presence is far more dynamic, far more powerful, and far more transformational in our society that we've got stuck on The promises of Christianity, as beautiful as they are, because drifting around in the middle of the lake, I used to do that in my boat. I'd go out in the middle, I'd get my Bible out, I'd get my journal out, I'd float around on my boat. It was beautiful. We'd just drift. It was great. There's nothing wrong with that when you're in a boat. And so when we're drifting in Christianity, it feels very comfortable. It might feel very pleasant, but that's not what we're designed. That's not what we've been called to. You see the scripture that I read about Jesus breathing in the Holy Spirit. He says, a peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. We are a sent people. We're a people who are on mission. We're a people who are in the army. We are in a spiritual war. And this spiritual war is not calling people to comfort. It is calling people to an activity where our sails of life are being empowered by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God. And there's this amazing passage in the Bible that speaks so clearly to this, and it's actually in the Old Testament, and I'm going to do this quite quickly, because really I want us to reflect on this in our own time, as to whether we have sold into low expectancy when it comes to God. Are we parenting with low expectancy when it comes to faith? That we're quick to point our finger of criticism to the church, or what the church has or has not done, rather than actually being convicted 
uh, under God himself as to how we have approached him as parents, how we have approached him as Christians, and what kind of example we're setting to our children. Have we so lowered our expectations that we've just become satisfied with the promises that in his common grace he continues to give us while missing out on the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power and the calling that he has given to us as parents, as employers, as church leaders, as workers, as, as uh, people in friendships and, and spouses and marriages. We are called to represent God's presence. Moses. Moses is where we see this significant difference between promise and presence. Moses, as you know, was a child of a slave and, and then became a prince and then was a transformed leader of millions. He literally had the joy of coming into the presence of God face to face. So much so, gave him an instant glowing facelift. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And there's this story in Exodus where God is meeting with Moses and then Moses comes down the mountain. I preached on this and this is just, I, I could jump into this. It's a great passage. It's got a very short, very long story short, the people, while they're waiting for Moses, are becoming dissatisfied. They're moaning, they're complaining. It was better when we were in Egypt. And, and then they decide that they're going to make themselves a golden calf. And so now they're worshiping this golden calf rather than the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords that brought them out of Egypt. And so God has this very visceral and somewhat understandable reaction to his people. And, uh, and he says, that's it. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses, I'm going to start again with you. I'm going to start with you, Moses, because I've had enough of this grumbling people. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 32, and it says, But Moses implored the Lord his God. Moses cried out to God and asked him for... Uh, he basically stood in the gap between the people and God and, and advocated for them. And the passage goes on. He says this, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. There's a crisis. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, God, if you will forgive their sin... But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. What an amazing thing to say to God. Take me, not them. Please don't blot them out. And then carries on in Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Notice, the land of flowing with milk and honey is the promise. This was everything to them. Their whole existence was towards this promise. Land is everything to them. This is where they were going to build careers and families and relationships. And they were going to live off the land. There was going to be resources and riches. All of which had been promised to them. But I will not go with you. I will not go among you. My presence will not go with you. You can have the promise. You just can't have me. Because if I go with you, I will consume you on the way. I'm not going to even wait to get to the promised land to kill these people. I just know that likely on the way there, something bad's going to happen. So if you want the promise, Moses, fine. But I'm not coming with you. You're on your own, lad. For you are a stiff-necked people. It doesn't actually say you're on your own, lad. I kind of threw that in, assuming that God 
is English. Uh, so God has said, look, I will fulfill my promise, but will not give him, sorry, them his presence. This beautiful, amazing, dreamlike land that is literally flowing with milk and honey and wine and good food, with good laughs, beautiful weather. Does this sound familiar? You know that they could enjoy good resource, good family, good life, good career, good relationships. You can enjoy it all. I'm going to give it you because I am a loving God. You get everything you ever wanted. And that's the problem. You see, because they didn't want God. They wanted what God brought, but they didn't want God himself. They didn't want him bad enough. They didn't want his presence and power enough for them to stop worshipping idols. This is an amazingly powerful piece of scripture. And it is prophetic now because this is where, friends, I feel like we've landed. We're living in the land of promise, a land of milk and honey. We are living with the comfort. Maybe it's an internal comfort of peace and joy and all the wonderful things that Jesus Christ has promised to give us through a relationship with him. We have everything we want. And if we don't have it, then we can just work harder to get it. And if we don't want to work harder to get it, then we can just go into debt to get it. We, we have all this promise coming towards us. We'll give you everything you want, God says. And that's the problem. Because everything we want leads to crisis. Everything we want actually terminates in and of itself and gives us the very thing that we're trying to avoid, which the scripture says is death. Ultimate death and death now. No presence of God. And what Moses does is remarkable. You know, you, you need to kind of read a little bit between the lines. This is, this is Moses getting into God's cage, if you like, getting into his face. And actually shows amazing boldness. Look at this. And he, Moses, said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You see, Moses recognizes that God's presence is the ultimate gift, not his promises. The thing that makes him distinctive, the thing that makes the group distinctive is not the promises, it's the presence of God. And friends, what makes us distinctive as a church, as parents who are Christians, as people who are following Jesus, is not the promise, it's not the joy, it's not the peace, it's not the goodness, it's not the good life, it's not the land of flowing milk and honey and vineyards. What makes us distinctive is the Holy Spirit's power and presence living in our lives. And we've grown so used to the comfort that we miss out on the beautiful promise of the God's premises. Because Moses promises, sorry, presence. Moses understands that if he has God's presence, he has everything. Because if we hook our lives into the promises, those things that we see are from God that are good, and they are good. If our relationship with God is contingent on the promises, that when those promises seem from our perspective not to be so great after all, then we will drift away. 
We will revert to floating. We will revert to drifting because if we're connected to God through his promises, then it is not a true connection. It's in his presence that we're connected. It's in his presence that we don't drift. And it's only in the comfort and the promises we tend to drift. His presence is the ultimate gift. His presence is the ultimate gift. And Jesus said the same thing. And we're going to study this passage in depth next week. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for watch. He dwells with you. Who's he? Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be in you. The presence of God is what makes us distinctive. And notice how Moses gets it, because God agrees. How does he get it? He asks for it. He asks for it. He says, show me your glory. He asks for it. He pursues it. I feel like I have some deposits that I have given over the years in being a pastor here in 10 years to say what I'm about to say. But I I feel constrained by the Lord to say it. And I say it lovingly, and I say it truthfully, and I also say it with conviction, my own conviction. You see, we should pursue the presence of God. But often what we're doing is we pursue everything else but the presence of God. We get drawn into the gift, life starts filling, sorry, get drawn into the drift, life starts filling in the gaps, and those things that once were set aside for him are no longer set aside for him. We're no longer dependent on him, we're no longer interested in him, we have been caught up with the interests of the world, and rather than asking, God, give me more of you, we now ask, God, give me more of fill in the blank. So we pursue the things that God in his grace has given us more than we pursue God himself. And Moses said, I don't want that. I want you, God. You see, if we pursue the presence of God and pursue God himself, and it seems like that throughout history, people pursue everything but God. And the fact that we wake up in the morning is testimony to itself that God is loving and kind and gracious and patient and merciful to us. And I choose to believe, because I know it's the truth, that even as I speak this morning, that there are some of you who are hearing my words and you are feeling that tinge, that pull, that, that kind of tension within you. And that is the Spirit of God wooing you to himself. Maybe to come to your knees and ask for forgiveness for the way that you have pursued literally everything else rather than God himself. And friends, I join you on your knees because there is a pursuit of career, a pursuit of dreams, there's a pursuit of relationships, there's a pursuit of parenting, there's a pursuit of hobbies, of money, of vacations, of travel, of toys, of cars, of retirements, of security and comfort. And as a church, we have a tendency globally to pursue and build programs and events and models and famous pastors and teachers and worship leaders and methods and everything other than coming to 
our knees and pursuing God himself. And we wonder why our city remains in crisis. And we wonder why our children stray. And we wonder why. And all we can do is point to other things as the reason why. While all the time it's because we pursue his promise more than his, pro- his presence. So have we settled? Have we settled in the comfort of the drift? Because our country is in crisis. And I believe that the God of Wales 1904 is the same God today. But there's something significant that happens as a, after a crisis. Do you remember? That it's his people seeking God. Crying out for him. See, we are representatives, ministers of reconciliation. The transformation in our culture comes through us, please hear me, being transformed. That we will set a fire when we are on fire ourselves. We will bring refreshment when we are being refreshed ourselves. Renewal and revival starts here. It starts in your front room, in your quiet spot, in your forest walk, in your place. When we open church, it starts in church. And we think that cute programs and, and, and different things. I'm so grateful that Willow Park is one of the most unprogrammed church that I know. And I am so proud. We have an emphasis on prayer. We have an emphasis on renewal. We have an emphasis on evangelism. We have an emphasis on our youth and our children and on the scriptures and the gospel and the offensive cross of Jesus Christ. That is our program. And I am grateful for that. But this is a rally call to those who call yourselves Christians. Surely the day has come where we see that the transformation needs to start within. There's a crisis. There's a seeking. There's a visitation, there's a habitation, and there's a transformation. And I am pleading with you, join me. Join me, join your church leaders, join your friends, your family, your community groups, that we will literally prioritize everything over community sometimes. Praying together. Well, I'm too busy. I can't make it. And I'm not doing a drive-by guilting. I am only communicating that which I have been tremendously uh, uh, convicted by myself. There's a crisis. There needs to be a seeking. God will bring a visitation. There will be a habitation as you and I get filled by His Spirit that will result in a transformation. In the 1720s, the church in America was effectively dead. It was in crisis. And then one gentleman who has got the best hairdo I've seen in a long time. That's like the parting of the Red Sea right down the middle. Look at that. His name was Cotton Mather. This man near the end of his life decided that there was a crisis to the point where he needed to seek God. So he initiated prayer cells. Oh, friends. Is there anything more unattractive than a prayer cell? A prayer cell is this, where you make a commitment to join with a friend or two or three and you pray. That's it. No media, no computer, no fancy program. It's just you and your friends joining together to cry out and seek God. Number two on that revival pattern. To cry out. And so he initiated these prayer cells. And you know what he did? For the last 400 days of his life, 
He prayed all day, every day. Let me say that again. For 400 days, the final 400 days of his life, he prayed all day, every day. Now, of course, he didn't know that they were his final 400 days, but he made a decision. I am dedicating my life to prayer all day. He died in, 19, uh, sorry, in 1727. After he died, revival broke out at such level on both sides of the Atlantic, it would have taken his breath away. After he died, he saw no evidence that his, by, that his prayer had been answered while he was alive. That God in his grace and in his love allowed him the insight of watching it from heaven's perspective. Way better, way better. Revival broke out. And historians, again, have no explanation for the sudden turnaround. Thousands of previously uninterested people suddenly started to flock to church and were converted to being Jesus followers. One minister in the Anglican church journaled that he had up to 10, to between 20, sorry, between 10 and 20 people come to know Jesus every day for years. How does that start? It starts with people like you and me dedicating themselves to seeking God, seeking the habitation of the Holy Spirit, seeking His presence, seeking His His filling. It doesn't come from us seeking His promises, from programs, from methods. I'm hitting this nail hard. I know that. But I'm doing it believing that God in His in his beautiful love and grace for each one of us, is also convicting, just like pounding that nail in our own lives, in our hearts and our spirits. I want this sermon to be a turning point. I pray that this sermon will be a turning point for Willow Park Church and in the mission area. Everyone, surely Glenn was religious then. Not so. Less than 10% would say they went to church. So you can't use that chronological snobbery and say, well, everybody was gullible and religious back then. Not at all. Far from it. But God broke in, heard the prayers of his people. Revival came. Can I tell you this in closing? The greatest thing that we can give our world is our transformed life through the pursuit of God's presence. The greatest thing that we can give our spouse, the greatest thing we can give our friends, the greatest thing we can give our children, our work colleagues, our schools, our universities, our streets and coffee shops, our neighborhoods, our streets. It goes on and on. The greatest thing is not a cute program or great marketing. Nothing wrong with those unless they replace place as pursuing God's presence, the greatest thing that we can do for the mission and for Kelowna and our nation that is in crisis is to pursue the transformed life through the pursuit of God's presence. And here's what's amazing. It's contagious. It's contagious. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people became Christians in the Great Awakening in the 17 and then the 1800s. It's contagious because we live such crazy, amazing, beautiful lives. In the joy of the presence of God, people will take note and worship Jesus. It is the greatest form of outreach and evangelism being filled with the Spirit of God. It is the greatest form of evangelism because people see not just success and promise, they see the presence of God in your life. 
So friends, what are we doing about it? Because my prayer is that we will become undone by the presence and the power of God in our lives. They would seek His face. We would cry out for forgiveness. We would repent from our self-reliance and independence and everything else that we rely on. They would seek His operation of His gifts in each of us. We would love one another unconditionally, even if we have differing views on some things. That we wouldn't get all high and mighty and judgmental and self-righteous, believing that somehow in that is transformation. Rather than sending out social media bombs and statements and argumentative things, and that is not, the transformation is not found on that. Transformation is seeking the presence of God, that we would be sharing people, generous people, accepting people, Oh, accepting. Does that mean we accept? We accept everybody because Jesus is life transformational. We have high standards of the gospel. Very high standards. Standards so high that many people would criticize us for being too narrow-minded. But in the pursuit of that gospel, this is a church where you are accepted and uh, expected. That is our heart. My prayer, friends is that we would be a church filled with God's power and presence because that is truly unmistakable. And I honestly believe that God's will for his people in the thousands of years previously is the same for the will of God has for us today. So join me. Join me as we examine the Holy Spirit, the theology, the works, the character, the person of the Holy Spirit. But I'll warn you, This is not a study of the Holy Spirit that will terminate in and on itself because now I've just given you more knowledge. Maybe knowledge that you want to disagree with. Maybe knowledge that you have viewpoints of and there's nothing wrong with that. The study of the Holy Spirit is to one end that would be an unmistakable church. A church that is known for their pursuit of Jesus Christ, their pursuit of the gospel, the pursuit of the presence of God because that is truly transformational. Let's pray. Dear God, as I hear the words that you have enabled me to speak this morning, I do so with conviction in my own heart. Forgive me, Lord, for the times, the many, many times where I have habitually sought after your promises and comfort, unaware of the drift, while all the time, Lord, missing the true essence of the pursuit of your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would bring revival to my heart. You would renew my heart. That God, I pray that you would give me the privilege of witnessing a visitation and a habitation of your spirit in this town. And Lord, I pray that everybody who hears my voice, whether it be online, live, or whether it be at some point in the future, that Lord, that they would join me in the pursuit of your presence. That God, that we would echo the prayer of Paul when he said that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. Oh God that we might know you. The power of your resurrection. The power of your transformation. The power of your filling and your presence. 
Forgive us, Lord, for getting all stuffy and high and mighty about our theology and doctrine all the time. But Lord, that we would see our lives in the way that you see them. That Lord, we wouldn't just be satisfied with arguing. But Lord, that we would seek you. And in that, the theology and the doctrine that is so rich would come alive. Oh God, forgive us, I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that it is your death and your resurrection that makes this transformation possible. Thank you, Jesus, for the promises. Thank you, Jesus, for all those beautiful things. The promised land. But more than anything, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, your presence, your promise of being indwelled and filled. God, I pray that you would make your home in each of us today. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Please, God, have mercy upon us. Amen. Amen. You know, I I know at the end of messages that they can be very invigorating and and and, and I'm impassioned and I and I'm and I'm praying that you've received some of that this morning. But can I encourage you to not just to leave it there? Can I encourage you to take some action to to actually go and go get by yourself. Quiet yourself before the Lord. Ask him to show you If there's anything that you need to confess and ask for forgiveness for. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done that. You've never even prayed before. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you just sense, you know what? I just feel like there's something to this. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you've just drifted on the lake of comfort. Come to him. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to fill you. Ask his presence to indwell you. Join us next week as we start studying who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And let's do this journey together. Monday night, Willow One Prayer. Let's pray together. Seek out other people to pray with. Yeah, but I don't like Zoom. Who cares? Let's pray. Let's walk together, pray together, laugh together. You can walk and talk and pray. That's what Sarah and I do. We chat away, then we pray, then we chat a bit, and then we pray and Let's pray on behalf of our land because it is in crisis and it needs the prayers of a transformed people so that we can become an unmistakable church. We love you. I love you. Sarah loves you. We miss you. I'm looking forward to the day when this building is overflowing again. And, uh, and, and come to church on lawn, kids' church next week. There's so much going on. Let's, uh, and, and know that we are praying for you. God bless Have an amazing, God-filled, aware of his presence week. Take care.